0: All right, let's look at our scripture as I try to find it, uh, John 5, 1 through 5. We've been doing a sermon series called The Greatest Hits of Redeemer. Uh, I've, I've been at Redeemer for 10 years and have preached over 450 sermons here. And uh, I, try, I thought to myself, why don't I take five or six of uh, uh, the best sermons I've preached or certainly the most significant sermons I've preached and let's preach them again. Uh, But it really doesn't matter if they're significant to me or not. What's important is if they're significant to you. So I forgot who it was from our congregation that said, hey, it really affected me when you preached on John 5, which is the healing of the invalid at the Pool of Bethesda. So that's what I'm going to be preaching on. Um, If there's a particular sermon that you want me to preach on uh, that really impacted you over the years, please grab me uh, because there's still a couple of slots left. Okay, this is John 5, 1 through through 15. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is God's word. Can you hear me okay back there in the back? My wife tells me I have a very loud voice, so, okay. I want to talk about miracles and signs today. We're kind of familiar with miracles. They're these unexplained events that happen that no one has an explanation for, and they're supernatural miracles, but they're also miracles kind of in, it's become a word in common parlance. Like you may remember the miracle on ice. Remember that in 1980? uh, The uh, U.S. hockey team uh, beating the Soviets, I remember that. Uh, There was a miracle on 34th Street at uh, some time. Uh, There was a personal miracle in my life when Lee Ellen walked into the cafeteria at the University of Virginia so many years ago followed by an even greater miracle when, she, when I asked her to marry me and she said yes. These are all sort of common miracles, but uh, we're familiar with miracles, these stories of when somebody goes into the hospital and they have cancer and they're getting ready to have surgery and lo and behold, the doctor does one more quick check and there's no, there's no, cer- there's no cancer, they say. You're free to go. And we don't really have an expl- explanation for miracles. Signs are a little bit different than a miracle. A sign is like a miracle, but it has a message. There's something it's trying to communicate. Much like when you come to a stop sign, it's communicating a message to you. In the same way, this, uh, uh, this passage here in John 5 is one of the seven signs that Jesus performed uh, in the book of John. They're actually called signs. And in fact, at the very end of the book, it says that Jesus did many other signs. But these signs are given to you, were done by Jesus, so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. And in knowing this, you might have life in his name. Now, why am I communicating all of this? The reason is there's something particular about this passage, about this sign that, gave, that Jesus gave when he healed Uh, this uh, paralyzed person, that he wants to communicate to us that we might also know that Jesus is the Christ and that we might have life in his name. So we might think that the miracle is the healing of his legs. But I want to suggest to you that that is not the miracle of this story. It's not the sign that Jesus is trying to communicate. In this passage, the greatest miracle is not the healing of the person's legs. The greatest miracle is the healing of a person's heart. The healing of a person who has been lost and who has been found. And so these signs, this sign, this communication that Jesus had for this man, I think he also has for you and for me. If we would open our hearts and listen to it. We're going to look at three points, three things that Jesus does when giving this sign to us. Number one, he asks a question. Do you want to get well? Number two, he gives a command. Rise and walk. And finally, number three, he gives a warning. Jesus is doing the same thing for us today. A question, a command, and a warning. Because abundant life in Christ is not found in our circumstances. It's found in being known and loved by Jesus Christ. Okay, let's begin with our first point. Jesus asks a question. Jesus is going to a feast in Jerusalem. He enters in through the Sheep Gate. Jerusalem is a walled city. And right when you enter into that gate, there is a pool. It's called the Pool of Bethesda. The word Bethesda literally means house of healing. It was a a place, this pool, surrounded by five covered colonnades, that all of the the invalid, the deaf, and the blind would gather together. Because supposedly, from time to time, an angel would come down and stir the waters. And when this angel did so, whoever was first into the pool would be healed. They've actually discovered, by the way, archaeology has discovered the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, You can go and you can see the five colonnades and there's actually a fresco on the wall of of a picture of an angel coming down and stirring the water. So this isn't a story, this is history that we're talking about. So you can imagine this place, it's, it's the place of last resort. It's the place you go when you have no other place to go. And there was a man there, a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. How long this man had been at the pool of Bethesda, we don't know. But the pool of Bethesda was his home. It was the place he would go day after day, hour after hour, sitting there, hoping, waiting for a miracle that he would never be able to participate in because he was paralyzed, right? So the first person who gets in the pool is the one who is saved. And so this is his home. This is his community. The blind, the lame, And the invalid, these are his family, so to speak. But it's every man for himself, so to speak, or every woman for himself, if the waters are stirred. And clearly there was some sort of power there. Otherwise, why would these people continue to congregate around? It says that when Jesus came and he saw this man and learned about his condition, in other words, Jesus took the time and for some reason picked this person out. Now, there may have been 50 people there. I don't know how many people were there, but you know there were many. But Jesus took the time to learn about this person's condition. Because with Jesus Christ, it's always personal. Jesus didn't see crowds. He saw people. He saw individuals like you and me. And so Jesus walks up to this person who really does, has no idea who Jesus is, And ask the question, Do you want to be healed? Now, I wonder what this guy is thinking when this question is asked to him. What do you think? Right? Of course, I want to be healed. Why do you think I'm here? No, I very much enjoy being paralyzed and and living here on this mat all of my life. But Jesus has a reason for asking this question, He always has a reason. Actually, the the, the literal Greek is do you want to be whole is actually what Jesus asked the question. Do you want to be whole? See, Jesus knew that this man only knew one type of life and that was the life of a cripple, of a paralytic. That this was his family that he had been a part of around him. That he had an identity. He was the invalid who hung out at the pool of Bethesda, that he had an occupation to stay upon his mat day after day, hour after hour, waiting for a miracle that would never come. And so Jesus asked a very good question because you see that the man gives not an answer, but an excuse. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He doesn't say, yes, I do. Yes, Jesus, but rather he gives the answer, here's why I cannot change. He's saying that I'm broken and everyone around me is broken too. He's really saying there's no one for me, isn't he? When the water is stirred, there's no one to come alongside me and to help me down into the pool. Maybe he had some people to do that for him in the beginning. But time passed on, and sooner or later he was left all alone. So hidden in his message is what he's communicating is, "I'm alone. I'm forsaken. I'm abandoned. There's no one to help. And so there is no hope. In other words, he's he's amazed, really, that Jesus is even asking the question because no one's even asked the question Do you want to get well? No one's cared. See, there are really two ways to ask this question, aren't there? Kind of as a bystander Do you want to be whole? Or do you want to be whole because I'm willing and I care? But this man can't hear that message. Or can he? Because it's the Son of Man who is asking the question. It's the Son of Man who rules over the wind and the waves. It's the Son of Man who knit him together in his mother's womb. The question is, will he open his heart to Jesus Christ? Because he's been disappointed so many times. Jesus is doing a healing in this man's life. But before he heals his legs, he needs to heal his heart. He needs to communicate that I'm with you, that I've not forgotten about you, that I'm here for you. The appeal that Jesus gave to the crippled man is the appeal that he gives to each one of us. Do you want to be made whole again? Now you may not be paralyzed and your legs are crippled. Or you may be. But all of us are broken in some way, shape or another, aren't we? We're all broken either relationally, emotionally, spiritually, in some way or another, abandoned or forsaken. Perhaps you've gone through a divorce Time of abandonment in your own life, or you felt what it was like to be abandoned. Perhaps you're estranged from your kids, you no longer speak with them, and you feel the aloneness of those relationships. Perhaps you didn't have parents who cared for you, who watched over you, who told you it was going to be okay. You're relationally broken or emotionally broken. Perhaps you deal with sadness, depression, anxiety. This constant blanket that's over you again and again and despite your best efforts, you can't seem to shrug it off. And you're resigned to this fate. I am abandoned. I am forsaken. Perhaps you're spiritually broken. That I don't have a relationship with God. That I don't feel like He's for me that I don't know that He's with me, that He'll come into my circumstances and be a part of my life. This is the reason that Jesus Christ took on flesh and came into the world. Because Christ's call is to wholeness. He asks the question because He has an answer. I am the one who can make you whole. And we can either answer like the cripple, I can't change, There's no help or no hope. I've been this way for too long. I'm set in my circumstances. I'm set in my career. That's my mat. That's where I go. It's the best I have. I'm set in the bottle. It's the only thing that gives me comfort. It's the thing I go to. I'm set in that guy or that girl. It's not really a future, but it's all that I'm resigned to. I can't change or I won't change. See, for this man to answer the question, yes, to pick up his mat and to walk, is to leave everything behind and to enter into a new journey, a new life that he hadn't known before. Because Christ's call is a call into the unknown. I remember a friend of mine, we'll call him Bill, Bill, Bill was not a believer in Christ and did not attend Redeemer Prez. This was several years ago, but he was a good friend of mine. And he liked to run, jog, and I also liked to jog when I did such uh, crazy things. And so we would go out and we would run on Saturdays. And I knew that he was not going to come to church, so I would take the opportunity to give my sermon to him, to practice my sermon to him while we were running. It was kind of in rough draft form. So I'd say, hey, can I can I give my can I give my sermon? Here's what I'm going to talk about. And I'd just, you know, talk about it, and he'd be nodding his head. And over the months in which I do this, I could tell that he's he's tracking with me. I remember one time turning to him and saying, Do you do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that you can have salvation in his name? He said, yes, I do. He said, so what's stopping you? He said, I can't change. I'm too far gone. I have my life. I have the way I do things. It's too far for me. And so I'm just going to stay in the world that I am. And as far as I know, I've lost track with him. He has. There's a lot of power to that question. Do you want to be whole. If you feel that I have no help in my life, no one to come into it, and therefore, I have no hope, if that's all you've ever known, I'm here to tell you that as Jesus Christ came into that man's life, He wants to come into your life. He wants to bring peace and shalom. Either rescue from your circumstances or rescue in your circumstances. See, either we will give an answer or we will give an excuse. But we have to make a decision. We have to jump in. We have to say, yes, I do. We have to be willing to enter into the unknown, to leave what is behind in order to move toward what's ahead. This brings me to my second point, that he gives a command. While this man is giving his excuse looking down at the pool, he hears these words from Jesus, get up, take up your mat and walk. Now this is not the sort of thing that one would say around this pool of Bethesda unless you were a very sick person or you had unbelievable power. But Jesus has the gall to say to this man, an invalid, for 38 years, get up, take up your mat, and walk. The words must have been electric in this man's ears. Could he get his hopes up? After 38 years, no one cared. No one. Did he think it was a cruel joke? See, the man is staring at the pool. He wants to go down. But Jesus is saying to him to stand up. The man is looking at the pool as his source of salvation and Jesus is saying, look at me. I'm calling you to a new life. Jesus is redirecting his attention and his devotion to himself. See, Jesus asked a question the first time. And you can answer a question or not. But this time God gives a command. The Son of God gives a command, and a command requires a response. It must be obeyed or disobeyed. Jesus has come to bring the gospel, and the gospel is an offer of salvation, but it's more than that, it's a summons. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, and all of us qualify in that category. See, Jesus is going to do a miracle in this man's life, but he still has to obey, right? He still has to stand up. This man has to obey to experience the miracle. And so as the man feels this energy coursing through his legs, his sinews being rebound, his muscles rebuilding, he cautiously stands up on his own two feet and he walks. He responds in faith. See, the results of our faith lie on the other side of obedience. That's the way it works with Jesus. Jesus says to Peter, get out of the boat and walk to me. But it's not until Peter steps out of the boat and begins to walk that he sees that the water is solid. Jesus says to the man with the shriveled hand, Stretch out your hand. And as he stretches it out, it's healed. Jesus says to the uh, the people with leprosy, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were healed. In the same way, we cannot experience the miracle of wholeness in Jesus Christ until we respond to his command. To get up. To walk in faith. To leave our old life of trusting in ourselves and the things around us to enter into this new life. See, Jesus' call to the man and the call to us is a call to be reborn. This pool, this baptism he wants into a new life is the old way of life and there's no power in it. But Jesus came to bring a new baptism in this man's life and in ours. A baptism of the Holy Spirit. Leave your old life of trusting in the things of this earth and enter into your new life of trusting in me to bring you life. He's calling to this man to be born again. And he's calling the same to you and me. I guess that's why it's rise and walk. Right? Right? Walk away from your circumstances. Walk toward me, with me in the center. That's why I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's why the scriptures say to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding. To walk, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. He's calling this man to walk away from the pool, and to walk toward Christ. One of my favorite movies, uh, The Hobbit. I think it's better than all the other ones. I appreciate how it opens with Gandalf the Grey, who comes to visit the little hobbit hole of Bilbo Baggins. And Gandalf says something to the effect of, I'm looking for someone to share with me in an adventure. And Bilbo says, oh no, I'm a Baggins, of Bag End. We never do anything adventurous. Indeed, this is not for me. But Gandalf will not be dissuaded, will he? And so he makes a mark on the door. And sure enough, late at night, as, as, uh, as Bilbo is having his warm milk after a normal supper, here come the dwarves. There's Bofur and Bilfer and Balin and Dwalin and Fili and Kili and Glowin and Owen and Nori and Ori and and Bomber and Thorin. But you already knew that, didn't you? They come in and they, they upset the apple cart. They throw this big feast. They take his food. They do something crazy and then they, Gandalf comes and explains the story of what they need him to do to leave his old life and to enter into a new life. And very late at night, a question is asked by Bilbo to Gandalf. Can you promise me that I will come back? And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, you will not be the same. And in the morning, everyone is gone. And Bilbo looks at his safe, comfortable, miserable life and runs out the door. In the end, he chooses to trust Gandalf. He chooses to trust that there is a new path for him, a path that he didn't see before that has been brought into his purview. I guess in the end, it's no different for this cripple, is it? It's no different for us. Jesus has called us to leave our old life, a life of trusting in the things of this world and to trust in Him. Tell me who you love and I'll tell you who you are. He's saying, love me and be changed. This man heard the call, rise and walk, and though he didn't know anything about Jesus, somehow he knew that I should stand and if I fall, he will catch me. Rising and walking for him is the same as rising and walking for me. How can we trust Jesus and his question, do you want to be whole again because I can make you? The reason is because Jesus already went down into the pool of judgment. Jesus Christ already suffered for our sin and disobedience. He already suffered in our place if you are a believer in Christ. He went down and he rose and he walked. Jesus carried the cross up the hill on Golgotha and walked to his death into the tomb and three days later he came out again showing he is the only one who can make us whole because he is the resurrection and the life. Everyone else will baptize you with water, but I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love how Jesus came to find this man. And he comes to find you and me. As the praying the scripture passage said, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will rise to life. He's talking about a spiritual life right now, right where you are at, that will ultimately culminate in a physical life at the resurrection of the dead when Jesus Christ comes again. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good, He came to make dead people alive. So, who are you? What's your pool? What's got a hold on you if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ? What are you chained to? What's his name? What's her name? What's the number of that bank account? What's that corporate title? What is it that's chained you to this earth that you're looking to to give you life that I'm telling you 38 years later you'll still be there? Because only Christ can give us a new life. The life to which we were called. If you're looking for where Jesus is, he's right at that pool right next to it. Saying, do you want to be whole? Rise and walk and follow me. You have to trade one life for another. I can tell you that it's worth it but you must decide on your own. You must respond in obedience because it is a command. Abundant life is not found in your circumstances. It's found in knowing and receiving the love of Jesus Christ. This brings me to my final point. Jesus gives a question, He gives a command, and then He gives a warning. In the midst of all the craziness and the crowds, Jesus slips away. But notice this, Jesus goes and finds him again. This time in another house of healing. One he hasn't been to in in a long time. He finds him at the temple. It says afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. This phrase, sin no more, in this way is only found one other place in the Bible. It's actually a couple chapters later in John. And it's the woman caught in adultery. Remember the woman who lived that life? It's the life that she chose and and that she's brought in front of Jesus. And everybody wants to stone her. Everybody wants to condemn her. And Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone until all the people are gone. And Jesus says to the woman, where are those to condemn you? She says, there's no one. Says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. By the way, what is his sin? Was his sin lying around on a mat? No, his sin like the woman's was focusing his hope on something other than Jesus. Because the work of God is to believe in him, to trust in Jesus Christ. That's what this sign is all about to the crippled man and to us. You can trust me. Even though you feel forsaken, even though you feel alone, even though everyone might have abandoned you, I have come into your life and I can make you whole. The man now knows that the name of this person is Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. What Jesus is really communicating to him is this I've given you your legs. I've given you the thing that you thought you wanted. Do you want me or it? In other words, is the reason that I worship Jesus because Jesus gives me a better marriage? Because he gives me a better life? Because he gives me uh, self assurance? Or is the reason I worship Jesus because he's Lord? Because he's savior. Come healed legs or not. Come fixed circumstances or not. The reason I worship Jesus is because he's right. You know, being a Christian is hard enough. But trying to live in two worlds, where I'm somebody on Sunday, but I'm somebody else the rest of the week, a part-time follower in Jesus is absolutely miserable. Jesus is saying to this man and he's saying to us give all of your life to me trust me and follow me. It's about obedience to God's word and God's commands. As crazy as it was for this man to rise and walk Jesus is going to call him to do all sorts of things to give up his life and follow him to deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. To trust him as his King, Lord, and Savior, no matter what. I remember I was when I was on staff with Young Life, and we were at camp, and there was uh, these uh, these gals who had come to camp, and they were they were uh, they were dressed like goths. Remember uh, that style where you wore all black and black nail polish and the hair and the whole deal. And they were checking out this Jesus thing, but from afar. And I remember they were meeting with the speaker, and and they uh, they asked him the question. Do you mean if I trust Jesus Christ with my life that I have to give up everything I have and I need to go to Africa and I need to be a missionary for the rest of my life? And he said, I'm not saying that Jesus is calling you to do that. But I'm not saying he's not. He's calling you to himself. Trust him. And lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all ways and He'll make your path straight. That's what the warning is. Don't settle for anything less than Him. If you're a Christian, examine your life. The Bible says to never doubt our salvation, but to examine it. Do I really follow Him because He's Him and because I love Him? Am I willing to, to die again today for Him, whatever He calls me to. That's how I know that I love Jesus and that I follow Him. Not something that I did 15, 20 years ago on a dock at a camp, but that I want to follow Him now. Additionally, if you want to be a Christian, He's calling for all of your life. He wants it all. He's a jealous God because he can't do anything with you unless he has all of you. And he won't settle for anything less than the throne of your life. I want to leave you with this picture because you're going to go out and you're going to go into the world. And if you look hard, in fact, you won't have to look hard at all, you'll see the pool of Bethesda everywhere. It's in your high school when you walk into it. In your middle school, it's at your workplace. It's at the mall. People standing around, waiting, hoping for something that will bring them joy and love and peace. What they're looking for is the gospel. And we who have been changed by the love of Jesus Christ are being called to go out into the world and to present the message of the gospel to them as well, that they might be healed, that they might rise And walk. It's what this church is all about. Because abundant life is not found in our circumstances, it's found in knowing, resting, receiving, and relying on the love that Jesus Christ has for us. That's a journey and adventure worth taking. And I hope you do so. Let's pray. God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you for how you dealt with this man. Thank you that you come into our life and say the same thing. Do you want to be whole? Because I can and I am willing. Pray that no one would leave this place without having given their heart lock, stock, and barrel to you to follow you as their king, their savior, their life, and their love. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.